What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I've got special guest, the one and only Dr. Sean Baker on the line today. How are you, Sean? Hey, I'm doing great, Robert. Nice to be with you. Likewise, likewise. Uh, so you, you've kind of picked up quite a lot. Like, a lot of people uh, know about who you are and what you're doing, but for anybody that doesn't, what's a... Quick little bio on on yourself. Uh, yeah, well, I'm a uh, you know basically I just turned 51 yesterday. I'm a lifelong athlete. Uh, you know, I you know had a career as a nuclear weapons guy. I played you know semi professional rugby in New Zealand. Uh, you know, strong man. You know, powerlifting. Um, now I'm you know doing stuff on the indoor rowing. Broke some world records on that stuff. I you know, have a background in medicine. I'm an ortho trained as an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, you know, about a year, a little over a year ago, I started on this uh, fully carnivorous diet and have noted pretty, you know, remarkable improvements in health. That got a lot of attention. A lot of other people started doing this. We started studying those people and we're seeing, you know, basically the same thing. People are getting really healthy. And and, and, and one of the things that might interest, interest your listeners is we're noticing some pretty significant improvements athletically in the gym with regard to strength and recovery. I think those are some kind of interesting uh Interesting things are going on. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond excited to just kind of dive into all kinds of little rabbit holes here. So you start, you started kind of just, you know, all kinds of rock, rugby sports growing up, um, and you went to, you became an orthopedic surgeon. You said, right, yeah. What, what kind of led you from that to doing the carnivorous type dieting now? Well, I mean, it was just my own health. You know, it's, you know, I got in my mid forties, and despite, you know, I've never stopped training hard. I've always trained hard. You know, I lifted hard, ran sprints. You know, did everything that's, you know, keeps you in shape. But despite doing all that stuff, I noted in my mid forties that my health started to decline. You know, I finally got to where, you know, I, I had to pay more attention to nutrition. And then as I did that, I experimented with a whole whole bunch of different diets. You know, I went on a low fat, you know, high fiber, you know, chicken breasts, you know, fish type that, like, you know, a lot of folks in the bodybuilding community do. I went on to, uh, I just couldn't, I just couldn't maintain that stuff long enough. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so then I switched over to a paleo type diet, then I went on a low carb diet, then on a keto diet, I did that for a couple of years and got pretty good results, but I continued to want to push the envelope and continue to see what would happen um, after I'd read about some people doing this, this, you know, this fully carnivorous diet. So I, I just decided to give it a shot and I noted good things were happening to me. And so I just kind of stuck with it. And, and now I'm over a year into it and still getting faster and stronger, you know, basically every week. So it's kind of nice. Yeah. You're, you're setting some, some world records for rowing, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, broke, uh, you know, out of the concept too, you know, I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with that. I know people that, Outside the rowing community, a lot of the CrossFit athletes are getting familiar with that. We're seeing it, you know, a little more like with the MMA athletes, but they know that that's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty challenging machine. And there's, they've been keeping world records on that stuff for 30 some years. And I, and I went in and over a period of about six months, I broke the world record and then over, and then I kept breaking it over and over again. I think I set about 19 world records last year, uh, you know, on that machine, all while in a, you know, fully carnivorous diet, you know, in events that are, anywhere from 100 meters to 500 meters. And so, you know, those are pretty highly glycolytic events, which is kind of contrary to what most people see with ketogenic diets. They they tend to claim it's better for uh, endurance type activities, but I'm doing this in stuff that's, you know, very glycolytic, which is kind of unusual. And, uh, and even, even right now, I mean, even this week, I'm, I'm still getting faster. I keep hitting PRs and so I'll probably, 
you know, hopefully break, break some more records in the next coming weeks, you know, weeks again. Now I'm a total, I'm totally ignorant with regards to rowing. What, uh, I mean, I've, I've played around with them, but I, I, I mean, my form's probably everything but perfect. Um, so what, uh, like what's a typical training style with a rowing machine look like? Uh, well, for me, you know, I like, since I said, my focus is on the sprinting type events. So, I mean, the training that supports that is a lot of lifting, you know, it's, it's deadlifting. It's, uh, you know, a lot of Olympic st- lifting style variants. You know, I do a lot of snatch high pulls and I do a lot of heavy kettlebell swings. You know, I've got a 176 pound kettlebell swing. I can swing for 50 reps, you know, you know, real relatively, you know, that's for relatively tough. I do a lot of jumping mm-hmm. and a lot of sprinting. Like today, I'm going to probably go out and run some sprints. But uh, that's just to prepare me for to do what I need to do. You know, you have to be you have to be a pretty big guy. I mean, most of the guys that, that really are good at this are 6'8", six, 6'9", six, you know, 270. You know, the guys that can really throw it down. I'm, I'm actually kind of a little guy in that regard. I'm 6'5", 240, so I'm kind of competing up against, you know, fighting up a weight class to, to hang with these younger guys which I'm managing to do, fortunately. But it's, you know, then I do a lot of just intervals. You know, I do a lot of short sprint intervals with, with short recovery, you know, kind of medium recovery times. And then I'll do a lot of, uh, you know, I'll just do the event I'm going to do. Like like I'll do a 500-meter sprint, which is awful. I mean, it's just an awful experience. You know, it's very painful. But I'll do that over and, you know, over and over again, you know, several days, you know, sometimes 10, 12 days in a row sometimes just when I'm getting, you know, where I want to be. So it's, uh, it's a little unorthodox, you know, most rowers that row for the Olympics, you know, they'll do a lot longer distances and they'll sit there for, you know, two, three hours of, of rowing in a row, which I just can't, you know, I just can't do that. You know, it's, it's, it takes away from, I think a lot of your ability to maintain muscle. So that's not what I, so I train a little bit. There are more and more people that are getting into this sprint rowing. So we're seeing more and more people that are kind of adopting, the style that I do it is becoming more popular. It's becoming more accessible. But the guys that train for the traditional distances, I mean, they're out in a rowing boat for, you know, sometimes three or four hours a day on a machine for an hour a day. You know, that's that's not how I train, though. So with, uh, with the rowing for, like, the sprints, you said you'll do, like, some intervals to warm up, and then you'll do, like, the 500-meter. Uh, and that's based off of, of time or? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, the world record for a 500 meter row is, you know, for 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 all ages is one minute ten and a half seconds. That was set by a guy named Leo Young from Australia back in 1991, I think, something like that. And it's never been broken. It was done on a kind of slightly different model, so there's some people that question it, but I, I don't. I think generally it showed the same output, so it's, it's it's still a valid valid record. In modern times, there's been a couple guys that have kind of approach that one guy hit in a 111.5 you know my best is so far is 114 but i'll probably be able to hit about a 112 here in the coming weeks so i'm you know i'm getting you know even though i'm 51 I'm, I'm still able to beat most of these guys you know in fact i can beat most olympic gold medalists on a rowing machine for 500 meters which is just to kind of put it in perspective you know what, what, what we're doing with uh you know on a carnivorous diet which is kind of cool but it's uh it's you know cool. you see them in the gyms they're kind of you know you know, particularly the CrossFit people will know. I don't know. I, I know you do a lot of bodybuilding, so you may not have. I don't know what your what your target audience audience is, but people that are that have been to CrossFit gyms are well well acquainted with a with a concept two rowing machine. Well, normally, like when I'm doing a you know contest prep for a show, I'll pretty much just stick to the you know stairmaster. But uh, I've never been a fan of you know some people will be on the treadmill for hours. I've never liked ellipticals. I've never liked treadmills. But I could see how you know doing like hit training or something with a row would be much more beneficial than sprints or something because it's not going to have near the you know joint impact 
Yeah, I mean, you can definitely you can definitely get away with a lot of that, you know, high intensity stuff without beating up your joints. That's one of the reasons a lot of people are attracted. It's one of the reasons a lot of big guys, you know, big muscular guys, because they don't like they don't like running, you know, because it kind of it, you know it just doesn't feel very good. But uh, yeah, you can definitely use it that way. And I agree, the long, you know, they call it uh, the you know long low intensity steady state stuff where you're you're walking on a treadmill for ninety minutes is just one is boring as hell. Yeah. Uh, and it's you know, you know, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I'll go out, you know, I'll go out for a walk with the dogs, maybe, you know, thirty minutes stroll with the dogs and that's that takes care of that stuff for me. And I think that's fine to do that stuff. But to, you know, make that your focus is is to me a little bit counterproductive, I think. I completely agree for sure. Um, so what would be like for somebody that, that's not really familiar with the rowing, what would be like a good, you know, protocol to kind of ease them into what would be like if, for me, for instance, if you were to prescribe a rowing protocol for me to kind of act, get acclimated to it, what would be a good technique? Well, first thing I think you, you know, I would do is, is, is look at some videos on how to, you know, row correctly. Cause that's going to make more difference than anything else. Um, concept2.com has, you know, some, some instructional videos, you know, I, I've got a little system I call carnivore training system.com where I train people on, you know, different, different aspects of exercise, but I've put some videos up there on technique, but you know, one of the, one of the workouts I like a lot is, is just hundred meter sprints, taking a two minute rest and then repeat, you know, 10 to 20, you know, 10 to 20 intervals or so. That's a good, you know, half hour, 45 minute workout that, that'll get you pretty, you know, uh, in pretty good condition. That's one nice way to do it. You can do 500 meter repeats. You do 500 meters, you know, maybe, maybe rest three minutes and, and repeat that four to eight times. Those are all pretty good workouts. A lot of people like doing the longer stuff. I, I just, I just don't have an interest in that. But for me, for what I want to do, um, you know, shorter intervals, you know, moderate rest times, you know, lots of repetitions, I think works well. I jumped on one the other day after one of my, you know, training days and I did a, I tried to do hit with just, you know, 15 strokes. Like I don't, you know, I'm not, I wasn't looking at like distance or anything. I would just do right, sure. 15 power strokes and then rest for a second and then do another 15. Shoot, that wore me out. Yeah, that can be good too. I mean, it's surprising, you know, when you see people on the machine doing it, sometimes it doesn't look that challenging, but when you actually get on there and do it, I mean, you, you, you know, you're really, you're really taxing your body pretty metabolically. It can be very painful. It's, it's kind of interesting. If you, you look at some old videos on guys that were training, on these early machines, you know, like trying to qualify for the Olympics. And these guys, by the time they were done, I mean, they were literally almost convulsing. I mean, they were yeah. passing out. I mean, they were, you know, you can, you can really push your body hard on these things. So, I mean, you can, you can really, you know, you can get in what you can get out of it, whatever you want to put into it. And if you're really willing to go real hard, you can, you can push yourself to the edge of collapse basically if you want to. I believe it. Danny Vega has been talking about him a lot. So he's got me hooked. You know, I'm going to have to just start incorporating it more into my own routine. Yeah, I talked to Danny. Yes, I did a podcast with him yesterday. In fact, yeah, I gave him some pep, some pointers on that, and he's already seen a little progress. So you know, it's kind of kind of fun to see other people, you know, learning from you and making progress. But uh, absolutely, yeah, he's he's he seems like he's getting hooked. I think he bought it, bought himself one, and now he's gotten hooked on it. Yeah, he just spends his all his time in the garage, you know, on the rowing machine now. <laughs> um, so I'd love to I'd love to kind of flesh out the the carnivore. First of all, like. What's like? How would you define carnivore? Because I've talked to some people, and some people say you you can't have dairy, you, you can't have dairy, you can have eggs. Like, what what's your definition of carnivore? Yeah, so I mean, it's you know, I think the one of the confusions a lot of people call this diet a zero carb diet, which is very confusing to people because some some people think, well, that I can have diet soda and you know all this other stuff. No, basically, it's basically it's a meat or an animal 
product centric diet where you you know your, your your focus of your diet is getting some sort of meat as your main you know focus of your calories and so whether that's beef or lamb or chicken or pork or you know deer or you know whatever whatever you can get you know i think a lot of people just gravitate towards beef because it tends to be more satisfying and then there's some things you can add to that to kind of you know make it a little bit more interesting although People, after they do it for a long time, really, they just kind of gravitate. They just want to eat steak over and over again. But a lot of people do ground beef. Eggs are fine. You know, I tell people just dairy is a plus minus. You know, it's, it's fine to have if you tolerate it well. There's a lot of people that find that dairy, for whatever reason, you know, causes issues for them, whether it's inflammatory issues. Some people find that they're trying to lose weight, it stalls or weight gain out. So most people will stick to things like hard cheeses and a little bit of cream. You know, we don't have, we don't have anybody, you know, drinking milk is so generally most people say avoid that yogurt is something most people say avoid that so it's basically you know any kind of meat and it can be seafood it can be you know anything as an animal you can basically you know it can be organ meats it doesn't have to be organ meats uh most people you know most people doing it are just you know they're eating steak and hamburgers a little bit of bacon a little bit of eggs you know a little bit of cheese and, and that's that's the majority of the diet most people you know drink water some people have a little bit of tea or coffee. Again, that's something that some people do better with, some people do worse with. And then, you know, alcohols, you know, are not really on any diet, but some yeah. people will drink alcohol. It's it's not really alcohol is not a health food, you know. It's just right. there's no way you can make it one, but some people like to drink alcohol and it's just, you know, whatever you want to do. Some people will use some spices and that's generally okay. Uh, we try to tell people to avoid sauces that are heavily you know, loaded with sugar and, and vegetable oils, you know, I think those things have a negative effect on people. So if you're going to do like a hot sauce, you know, make sure it just doesn't come with a bunch of sugar or, or, you know, soybean oil or a lot of the other crap they sneak in these sauces. So that's, that's basically the, the gist of it. And then basically it's kind of eat to satiety, you know, you eat when you're hungry, you know, and, and a lot of people, it's not really an intermittent fasting thing, but a lot of people will go to naturally they'll gravitate to one or two meals a day. That's what I often do. It's either one or two meals a day for me, but I put it away. You know, I'm like I said, when it's time to eat, I, I you know, I, I, you know, I, I crush it and then I'm not hungry for 12, 14, 16, sometimes 24 hours, depending on how much I've eaten. So I don't, I don't intentionally fast, but I go a long period of time between my meals, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I heard like some crazy number that you, uh, I don't know if it's accurate or not, but like you eat like five pounds of meat a day or something crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's about right. I mean, generally, I'd say my average generally has been about four pounds for most of the year. Lately, it's kind of interesting because my training kind of increases, you know, like when I start hitting new PRs, you know, I think my appetite goes up to support that new level of performance. And so lately, I've been eating more like five or six, you know, a day, which is, you know, that's quite a bit of food, obviously. <laughs> that's but, a lot uh, of food. <laughs> and, and, well, you know, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, for me, I mean, two pounds is like a snack now. I mean, I can crush through two pounds of steak like nothing. You know, I, generally, I can I can go through four four pounds in a sitting is pretty much will will keep me pretty satisfied. You know, I can get through that and then, I, then I'm pretty full. But, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm a big guy, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm, Six five two forty, pretty active. The average yeah. person on this diet that I'm aware of generally sticks around two pounds a day. That, that that seems to be the average for most people. But you'd be surprised. There are some little women, you know, 110 pound gals that can knock down three or four pounds, and you know that that's just you know that's pretty interesting to see what you can do. Hey, you'd be proud of me, man. I've had a ribeye every single day this month. Nice. I bet you liked it too, didn't you? Oh yeah, you can't go wrong, ribeye. So so what about um, like coconut oil or something like that? Is that considered non-carnivorous 
Yeah, I mean, here's the deal with coconut. Coconut oil contains things like salicylates, which some people react negatively to. And if you think about why are you adding coconut oil, you, I mean, you could just add an animal fat in its place. So if, you, if you're going to use coconut oil, just use butter instead. You know, you don't. Nobody really likes to cook their meat in coconut oil. I mean, yeah. generally, I mean, most people. You know, you, if you're going to cook a steak, you're going to cook it in butter. You're going to cook it in its own fat. So most people. I mean, the only reason to add coconut oil is some people do it to hit their fat macros uh, for a ketogenic diet, or you know, drink it in their coffee or something like that. But I think most people, you can just substitute butter for that. So there's no real reason to include it. And for some people, it's a net negative. You know, it's kind of crazy to say that plants. Are, are, are a problem for some people. We're finding out that, you know, all the plants that are on earth basically have a lot of chemicals in them. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. And, and a lot of people react negatively to those, you know, those, those chemicals that, that are bad for us. And so it's interesting to see, you know, we've always been told fruits and vegetables are great for us and we should always eat them. But we're finding that, uh, a lot of people, particularly that once they adopt this carnivorous diet, they, they see that when they add those things back in that, that it, they don't feel as good. And sometimes that, subtle joint pain or that little bit of depression or that little bit of a skin issue you had or your gastrointestinal symptoms go away when you when you drop the plants out so i think it's just it's interesting to observe you know and we're still learning a lot about it i, I completely agree with that like all of my clients i pretty much start them off at, at 10 grams of total carbs to get a baseline and i mean at 10 grams total carbs you're not getting in many right. if any vegetables and and surprisingly i mean or not surprising they all feel you know significantly better um so I can attest to that for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, like I said, I've, believe me, I've had thousands of arguments with people about this stuff and, you know, really looked into why it makes sense, you know, either uh, evolutionarily wise or, you know, some of the, some of the science behind that, some of the anatomy, some of the biochemistry. And so it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. I think a lot, I think one of the things we're fighting with through the keto movement and some of the other stuff that some of the nutritional dogma that we've held for, you know, a hundred years or more, we're, we're finding out that that stuff is, is, is a lot of it's just based on assumption and bias and, and myth. And, and there's obviously some conflict of interest that continues to drive that stuff. And so it's, it's nice now that we're seeing a lot of people questioning that and, and surprise their health is getting better, which is, which is cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. So would you like, you know, look at the ketogenic diet, high fat, moderate protein, low to no carb, would you consider yourself on a subset of the ketogenic diet? Like, do you consider yourself on a ketogenic diet? I mean, I'm sure you're producing ketones because you're obviously not using carbs for fuel. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the one issue with, you know, a ketogenic diet is, you know, ketosis is, is not an on or, off, on or off switch, as I'm sure you're pretty aware. We're always, we always produce some background level. It's just, you know, there's a definition where people say nutritional ketosis is, you know, you hit this arbitrary blood value. But, you know, you're, you're always kind of fluctuating back and forth. And so, for me, you know, I know there's lots of times where I'm ketosis. My diet, quite honestly, you know, if I'm eating ribeyes, I mean, I'm probably getting 70% of my calories from fat anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm pretty active. And so and I'm not eating meals very frequently. So I'm, you know, two meals a day or one meal a day, 70% fat, and I'm active. And so I, I probably spend a fair bit of my time in ketosis. I'm not measuring. I'm not worrying about it. But I, but I would certainly say that, you know, you could certainly consider this at least at times a subset of a ketogenic diet. Do you have any kind of a, I mean, I'm sure you're not really tracking your macros, more or less just eating instinctively, um, but I mean, do you have any kind of rough idea of what a day's macros would look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I would say I probably put around about 400 pounds, sorry, 400 grams of protein, um, and then maybe 
maybe close to that in fat, maybe a little less than that in fat, you know, whatever ribeye steak is. I know ribeye steak's about, I think last time I looked at it, it was about 65% fat by calories. And so my, my, I'm probably about 35% protein, 60% fat, 65% fat by calories, maybe a little more some days, um, you know, 400 grams of protein. I probably put away 4,500 calories a day on an average day. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. You know, like I said, it's, but it can vary. I mean, Mostly, that's about an average day, though. Gotcha, gotcha. So, what what does uh like what does a typical day look like for you? Like when you wake up, kind of what's the first thing you eat? Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends on what my it kind of depends on what my you know what I got to plan for the training schedule. You know, if I'm going to do some high intensity interval stuff, I don't want full stomach because I'm going to be you know I love that 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 steak will be on the floor. You know, yeah. <laughs> so I try so so I may do that stuff fast if I if I have to, if I have to do it early in the morning. Uh, and then I might, and, and then usually when I train in the morning like that, I usually end up eating a huge lunch and that may be on my one meal a day. But most days I may get up, cook up a couple steaks real quick, uh, maybe two pounds of steak. And then sometimes try to train maybe around over the lunch hour. And then again, I'll eat, you know, dinner time, which is usually six o'clock or something like that. So that's kind of my, the two patterns I tend to fall in, you know, and it kind of depends on what's going on the rest of the day and when I'm going to train. And you typically gravitate towards like the ribeyes, or do you mix up the cuts? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly it, it kind of goes back and forth, but I kind of rotate ribeyes, T-bones, and New York strips are probably my top three favorite, and then I'll put in some ground beef every you know every you know every once in a while, probably once a week, I'm eating, eating a bunch of hamburgers, just hamburger patties, and then very rarely now I'll, I'll throw in some eggs. Every once in a while, I'll throw in like shrimp or something like that, but uh, and then almost. I've almost gotten completely away from dairy. I just, I just found that, uh, you know, for me, it's, it tends to, to make things go not as well, but every once in a while I have a bite of cheese and throw a piece of cheese on a hamburger and then, then every once in a while I put a little bacon in there. But that's, you know, that's, that's 99.9% of my diet right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I saw a picture of your 50th birthday, uh, cake, I guess you can call it. <laughs> yeah. It had a pile of bacon and a ribeye on top of it. And then the, <laughs> number 50 candle in there yeah that's what i had my 50th birthday that was a fun day yeah i think uh i remember what i did i went there and i dunked a basketball and then went and ripped out 500 pound deadlifts that day just for fun i'm up to celebrate my 50th birthday so so yeah what what's uh what are some numbers that you're you're pushing and pulling like i I'm, i think people would appreciate the numbers you're you're setting you know just on a strictly carnivore diet yeah, so I mean, you know, like I said, the the rowing records, you know, they're they're all age group world records. So you know, one one fourteen five is my PR on a five hundred meter record, which I think row, I think I'll break that later. A thirteen point four second hundred meter row, uh, four hundred fifteen meters in in one minute on the rowing machine, and then you know, the gym, and, I, and like I said, my focus has all been rowing, so I haven't really trained um, lifting in, in quite a few years. But I, you know, like I said, one thing I wanted to do was pull four hundred five for twenty reps. Uh, and I'd struggled to do that since I was 45. And so as soon as I, cause I remember I was hitting about 15, 16 reps at four or five. And this is, you know, this is with no belt and using Olympic lifting shoes just cause I, you know, I'm not trying to compete. So I'm, I'm not even wearing the right shoes. But, uh, so about two months after going carnivore, I went from 15 reps to 20 reps, uh, at four or five, I hit 500 for, I think eight reps again without a belt. Um, you know, this is all drug free at 50 plus years of age without even training for that stuff. And so I think those numbers are going up pretty well. Um, you know, I did one arm snatch, 140 pounds, well, 140 barbell, just, just threw a one arm snatch up there. I can, you know, I can stand there and jump for, hit a 48 inch box jump, just standing, you know, at 50 plus years of age, you know, so those, those are some of the things I'm, 
I owe you my kettlebell, 176 pound kettlebell for 50 swings in a row, which is, I think that's pretty hard for anybody. I don't know too many people that can do I that. I they made 176 pound kettlebell. That's yeah, crazy. they got some freaky size ones. You know, I got some, in my home gym, I got all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, that, uh, you know, I just bought over the years. And so I just, that's the way I like to train. And so those are, the, those are the things that, you know, I've kind of done that are kind of, you know, unique, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, shoot, it's working for you, so keep at it. Um, what about like the uh, like the the micronutrient argument? You know, I, I, the science that's coming out right now with with carnivores is incredibly fascinating to me. Amber O'Hearn's doing some great work, um, and, and and y'all are very similar in thought process there. But one of the things that I heard her say at KetoCon, which really stood out to me, was like she took a look at the uh, the digestive tract. You know, of humans compare that to like you know an orangutan versus like a you know a cat, you know, a predatory cat. And we're much more in line with like the predatory cat. We have a smaller cecum and everything. Uh, can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So one of the one of the big concerns people always have is you know if you look at the RDA and then you look at what's in meat, you're clearly going to be deficient in a number of things: vitamin A, vitamin C, you know, magnesium, manganese, stuff like that. And to me, when I looked at that, I was like, well, this doesn't make sense because all these people are doing well, particularly with when you look at vitamin C. You know, vitamin C, is, if, if you don't have vitamin C, you get something called scurvy, which is a you know, horrible disease and you die from it, basically. You know, your teeth fall out, you bleed everywhere, your skin opens up into sores, you have all these neurological co- uh, problems. And no one was getting scurvy. And I was like, well, this doesn't make sense because the RDA says, you know, you're not getting any 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 vitamin C in there. Well, one of the things we, as I started to look into some of this stuff, is when you look at carbohydrate metabolism. You know, a lot of those minerals and, and cofactors and vitamins that we get from a standard diet that are recommended that we have are required specifically for carbohydrate metabolism. Mm-hmm. And so, when you're not metabolizing carbohydrates, a lot of those requirements change. And so that you know, the the, the requirements for a carnivorous diet with regard to vitamins and minerals is different than it is for someone that's on a standard carnivore or, or carbohydrate-based diet. So that's one thing. You know, we also know with, with vitamin C in particular, and Amber's pointed this out very well, and, you know, we've seen research on that. We've known for 100-plus years that scurvy was cured by fresh meat. You know, we knew that from the polar explorers, and we do know that there is a little bit of vitamin C in meat. We also know that the requirements go down significantly, again, when you're not running carbohydrates through your system. We also know that glucose competes with transport for vitamin C across cell membranes. And so what's happening is if you have a lot of high, high levels of circulating glucose or intracellular glucose, vitamin C requirements go up quite a bit. We also know that ketogenic diets stimulate the production of our own antioxidants, whether it's glutathione or uric acid. And so when those things go up, uh, vitamin C requirements also go down. We also know that if you give animals high-carbohydrate diets, their requirement for certain vitamins goes up. One in particular is vitamin C. So animals that can make vitamin C, when they're on a high-carbohydrate diet, they have to make more vitamin C to compensate for that. Same thing can be with, seen with thiamine. We've seen back in 1890 or the 1890s, they saw that animals that were on low-carbohydrates diets that were missing thiamine uh, didn't get a disease called beriberi, whereas animals that were on high-carbohydrates diets, when they had low levels of thiamine, they, they got the disease. So the vitamin requirements change based on your baseline diet, and the RDA never took into account any of this stuff. And so those things are all, you know, this is all kind of stuff we need to reevaluate, basically. We need to get new baseline levels on people that are on ketogenic diets or low-carb diets or carnivorous diets, and that, that's work that just needs to be done. The other thing about the anatomy, if you look at another primate, you know, and Amber's pointed this out and several others have pointed it out, but 
the way we evolved away from whatever our primate ancestors were, you know, we weren't directly descended from monkeys and chimpanzees and, and gorillas, but we, we shared a common ancestor maybe 10 million years ago. And so what, the way we, we diverge from those guys is our colons got much shorter as we probably became more carnivorous. So our colon is now a, is just a fraction of the size of what a, uh, you know, a gorilla is. And, and one of the reasons is, you know, gorillas are hindgun fermenters. And so they have this giant capacity to, to ferment vegetation. And we lost, we lost that capacity. We still have a little bit of that capacity and we can still do it, but it's very, very reduced compared to what those animals are. So the people that maintain were frugivores and, you know, we need to go back into the trees and eat like those guys. It, it, we just don't even have the anatomy to do that anymore. Additionally, our gastric pH is among the lowest of all, you know, all creatures on earth. You know, if we look at our gastric pH and compare it to other primates, ours is 1.5. Theirs is like four or five. And this is like uh, 10,000 or 100,000 times as, as, as acidic. And the reason that evolved was that we probably, and there's some pretty good, uh, you know, uh, paleoanthropology, there's some, there's some pretty good anthropology that indicates we probably scavenged, you know, initially, like three million years ago, we were probably scavengers. And we just followed these big predators around and we ate what was ever left, whatever the lions or the saber-toothed cats left behind. And studies on modern lions show they leave quite a bit of meat behind. We probably scavenged that meat. The problem with that meat was it was probably contaminated with bacteria. And that's why we, we developed this uh, really acidic stomach to, to counteract all the bacteria we were probably in, you know ingesting when we ate that way. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. And then just kind of like take this into a history lesson here, where do you think that shift occurred, just like since the advent of modern-day agriculture? You mean the shift in, in, in what, what aspect? What do you mean? Like from us eating predominantly, you know, carnivorous-type dieting to oh. uh, going towards like more of the grains and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we, farming came into, into uh, we, we basically learned and, and invented farming about 12,000 years ago. That's when we started you know developing grains and, and, and it spread in some places it was much later than that in, in you know on the earth uh prior to that you know and one of the one of the things that you know that we we tend to use is these modern hunter-gatherer societies and we try to say well whatever they ate is what they ate ten thousand years ago or fifty thousand years ago unfortunately you can't really use modern hunter-gatherers to say this is what the human diet was back then because they live in a very different time. We, the, the, the people that were 50,000 years ago were living in an ice age. And so the, the, you know, the, the, the plant vegetation was much different. It was mostly grassland. And we had all these, what we call megafauna, these big, huge animals that were, you know, all over the place. You know, we, you know, in North America, we knew we had, you know, there's herds of buffalo, hundreds of millions, you know, in number, you know, all, all across Europe, you know, mammoth, uh, you know, big deer, big elk, you know, all those things that we we basically had all this uh, meat around and we didn't have much else, you know, particularly, you know, folks, you know, came from the northern areas. Mm-hmm. And so we were also very good hunters at that time. So we probably had a very highly carnivorous diet. We also know that some of the um, uh, radioisotope dating of fossil records from Ice Age Europe shows that humans ate a lot of meat i mean they were they were more carnivorous than even wolves and other predators and so we basically know that a large percent of the diet was was you know carnivore based it's not to mean that we didn't eat some plants we probably ate a few berries seasonally and things like that but i think we were you know we we're a very high highly carnivorous species i mean that's pretty clear do you think like um like right now i'm 
pretty much eaten predominantly, you know, fatty cuts of meat. Uh, but occasionally I like saute some mushrooms or throw some spinach in there and saute that. Is there any like negative effect to having a very small portion of vegetables? Like, do they compete with each other? Or is it just kind of like not necessary? Well, I mean, I think it's. I think this is something that Amber and I both agree, and I think everybody has the capacity with with rare except there's some genetic diseases where. You know, eating meat may be a difficult time for people, but most normal humans can can survive on just meat. I think we all have a limited and a variable capacity to tolerate certain other foods. And so if, if you do fine with mushrooms and do fine with a little bit of sauteed spinach, then that's fine. You know, I think that's how you should approach this. There are a lot of people where, you know, you, you know, you, there are a lot of people that I'm aware of that if, if you threw some spinach on their plate and they ate it, they'd be sick for a couple of days. And so it's, it's just variable. But if, it, but if you're not having a negative reaction to that, and your body composition is where you want it to be, and your, you know, your joint health is good, and your digestive health is good, and your mental health is good, and your energy is good, your libido is good. Then there's no reason to change that stuff. This is only for people that, you know, feel like their performance isn't where it needs to be, or their health isn't where it needs to be. That's when you need to experiment with that stuff. And the, you know, the easiest experiment to do is just, you know, go with and without it. You know, go a month with it, and go go a month without it, and see how you do. Make a make an objective comparison. Yeah, for sure. Do you uh do you ever kind of like get any of your like vitals checked or blood tests or anything like that? Yeah, so I've been, I I've had my blood pressure checked. My blood pressure's fine. You know, I like I said, I'm I'm gonna get some blood work done actually later this next week. Actually, I'll be I'll be a little over a year into this. You know, one of the, one of the criticisms I, that has been levied against me is because I haven't done blood work, and my response to that is that the one problem I have with that is. As we're finding out, guys like Dave Feldman are showing blood work, like particularly like cholesterol. You can change your cholesterol reading, you know, 100 points in a week if you want to. You know, it, it's so variable. Things like, you know, what's your testosterone level? That can go up and down day to day, you know, potentially depending on how hard you train, what you've eaten recently. Uh, you know, things like liver function tests. You know, your enzymes can change dramatically in a couple of days just from a hard workout. You know, same thing with C-reactive protein. So all these lab tests that everybody thinks are the gold standard for determining what your health is people need to understand that that stuff is so variable day to day and there's a lot of things that affect that so if you really wanted to test things you'd get muscle biopsy you know or tissue biopsies things like a coronary artery calcium scan things like that those are more important so the people that are you know walking around prancing around because their hdl is 85 you know that's great and all but it may not indicate as much as you think you know i think people put too much stock in that i'm going to do that just just out of to satisfy other people's curiosity but i think you know like i said i think you know how lean are you what's your waist size how you know what what, what kind of exercise capacity do you have how do your joints feel what's your skin like what's your digestion like what's your mental health like what's your energy like those things to me are a better indicator of health than, than, a, than a blood test that could change three days later so that's you know, that's my commentary on that. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think uh, people put too much weight on arbitrary numbers. And, like, similar to what we're saying about the micronutrients with, uh, you know, a ketogenic diet or a carnivore diet, the, the metrics and the stats you're getting from, like, a standard blood lipid panel test are going to be seen through a different light when you're on a ketogenic diet versus a carb-based diet. Yeah, I would encourage people to look at the work Dave Feldman's doing over at cholesterolcode.com. You know, basically, you know, he, he had the same thing. He went on a keto diet. And he felt great. He got lean. You know, his energy was great. All of his health issues went away. He, you know, the best he'd ever felt. He went to the doctor and his blood cholesterol was, total cholesterol was like 400. And, of course, the doctor's freaking out. He wants to put him on drugs. And he's like, this doesn't make sense to me. How can, 
how can I feel so great but then be sick? And it, it, it just doesn't match this, the common sense test. And so what he started doing was checking his blood every single day. And then he noticed that, you know, the cholesterol merely responds to how much energy you've had in your system over the previous few days. So if you basically pig out for three days, you know, just disgorge yourself for three days and get stuffed, your cholesterol is going to go down because your liver says, I don't need to put out any fat because we're already full of fat and the cholesterol will be low. If you fast and, and, and if you try to eat real lean for three or four days before a cholesterol test, your cholesterol is likely to go up. And that's, that's just the way it's been shown to be. And it's very interesting. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Very interesting. My, my macros, like I'm pretty consistent with my day-to-day macros. So I, I've been trying to test every month just to kind of have a baseline, not because I think it's indicative to whether or not this is working for me, just because I'm curious more than anything. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you on, you know, people need to put more stock in how they feel and perform over, you know, arbitrary health markers. Well, all those are all those, you know, those are all proxy measures for things we're not totally sure we understand yet. And so the things that we do know that, you know, you know, there are things that are, they're associated with longevity that, that, that are universally associated and yet there's no, there's no real change in that. Your waist to height circumference, you know, if you, if you're, if you're lean through the waist, uh, we know that your, you know, quadriceps strength is associated with longevity. So, you, you know, get in there and do some squats, get, maintain that muscle mass. Uh, you know, we also know that uh, your exercise capacity, uh, we know things like your grip strength, which is, which is a proxy marker of overall body strength. All those things are tied into longevity, and they're much better markers of, you know, long-term health than, you know, going in there and get your cholesterol t- tested. I mean, that's... One of the reasons we do cholesterol because it's it's an easy test it's 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 easy to measure, um, and there's there's medication that you can use to fix it, <laughs> yeah. which is a sad commentary. You know, it's it's uh, there's there's some financial motivation in that stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. Did you notice anything change like from a like when you switched over to carnivore? Did you notice any like digestive things change? Because a lot of people, you know, they'll drop their carbs way low and it, they they notice like some digestive issues. But I think that's just a temporary adaptation phase that normally resolves itself in a week or two. Yeah, so one of the big things that people are always concerned about, whether it's a ketogenic diet or a carnivorous diet, is you know things like constipation. And so one of the things we've seen, if you look at patients that have had their colon removed, those patients are called ileostomy patients, and you can watch what you, know, what you feed them and what comes out. And we know that when you feed those people meat, almost nothing comes out. You know, it's just a little tiny bit of liquid, right? So what's happening is all the meat that you're eating is being really well, really well digested and really well absorbed. And so it's being, you know, it's being absorbed into your into your bloodstream and going to where you need. And all that nutrition is very, very highly available. When you eat a, a high high fiber diet, all that stuff doesn't get absorbed. We see it all goes straight to the small intestine and ends up in the colon, where it just fills up your colon and then you have to go to the bathroom more. So a lot of people, when they first go on a carnivorous diet, they think, oh my gosh, I'm constipated. That's not what really what's happening. Constipation means your colon is full of material, but you can't get rid of it. What's happening on a carnivorous diet is you're just, you're just not wasting anything. You have no waste material to get rid of. And so initially some people kind of get concerned because they'll go a couple days, even a week or more, and they won't have a bowel movement. And, and, but what happens after a period of a few weeks, most people start getting into a regular pattern, you know, as their appetite picks up and they eat enough material, you know, you get, you get, you, you know, you, you form enough material and then you just kind of constantly replenish that. So you have basically a small bowel movement, you know, most people once a day. Some people, when they first start, you know, particularly if they're coming from a low-fat diet, you know, the higher fat content often will lead to some people having diarrhea early on. You know, so it's it's kind of interesting watching, 
you know, we're, we're, we're doing this World Carnivore Month thing right now. So we're having all these people, you know, literally probably, oh, maybe a thousand more or more people that are that are doing this and showing what's going on. And some of them are, you know, doing fine. Some of them are having, uh, you know, different issues. But we're seeing that that goes away for most people within a couple of weeks. And so you just got to get through that transition period. The same thing with exercise. I, I'm kind of interesting to see. There's kind of a dichotomy in people. There's some people that are they're in there saying, I'm just killing my gym workouts. I'm crushing PRs. Uh, my recovery is awesome. You know, it's, it's, and, and that seems to be a, a large number of people. And then there's other people that are saying, man, I'm really fatigued. I'm not getting through these workouts, you know, during the first week. So it's interesting how that's playing out. But what I'm seeing longer term is, is most people are, once they adapt, are noticing pretty positive things. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What, um, as far as like the, the training goes, it's kind of off topic here, but you mentioned training. It's part of my interest. What's your philosophy towards, um, like high volume versus high intensity or, you know, going to failure? You know, I, like I said, my interest, and again, I, I'm not a bodybuilder. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm more kind of focused on athletics and general health and conditioning. So my focus tends to be on maintaining, you know, because I'm, I'm in my 50s now. So I want to maintain a number of things. I want to be strong. So I got to do some strength work. You know, I want to I want to maintain some muscle mass. So you got to do some of the you know classic bodybuilding hypertrophy type work. I also do kind of high end conditioning, and then I do a lot of explosive work, so a lot of jumping and med ball throws and stuff like that. So I tend to, you know, I think it's unclear what's the best strategy. I know there's a lot there's a, guy, a lot of guys in the hit camp where they they really like this one set the failure all this you know the real slow contraction time and retention stuff and there's other guys that are you know classic bodybuilder stuff that you know they do the stuff that bodybuilders have been doing for ages and gotten good results you know you look at the guys that you know at the top of the sport what they do seems to work for them and some other people do other things to do well for the other so i tend to i will say i don't know for sure what's the best answer so i I tend to do a little bit of it all you know if that makes sense to you i I like I, i work in high rep ranges i work in low rep ranges i train different capacities just because i want to be you know, again, as a 50 year old guy, I want to be able to, I want to be able to run sprints. I want to be able to, you know, you know, chase down my kids, beat my kids in sports, you know, deal with any sort of scenarios that might come up to me. Um, and so I, but as far as strict bodybuilding, you know, probably, um, you know, I like I like higher intensity work. I thrive on that better. You know, for me, I like to, to increase intensity and I train fairly frequently but my, the, the, the volume is not, you know, in one session is not high. It's not like I'm doing, you know, six or seven exercises for one body part. You know, like you know, a lot of guys, you know, leg day will be squats and sissy squats and leg curls and leg, leg extensions. And, you know, you, you know how that goes when, you, when you're bodybuilding. And that's so mine is, you know, I might do, you know, I might go squat and deadlift and then, and then, and then get on the bike and do some sprints. And that, that'll be more how I do that stuff. And I may knock that out and you know, 45 minutes instead of spending two, three hours, you know, like some, some people do on, on, on a particular body part day. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I'm just always curious to see different people's training philosophies because I mean, you're obviously having success with it, so I can glean something from it for sure. Um, bounce back to nutrition here. I've, I've taken a keen interest towards organ meats lately. So it doesn't sound like you incorporate that many organ meats in your day to day. Yeah, I think it's something that obviously organ meats are high in, in, in certain nutrients. You know, the, the particularly the liver. You know, the liver is a place where things get concentrated. Uh, a lot of people are big proponents of organ meat. There's some people out there that really are proponents of even even eating raw meats, which I I don't think is necessary. I think there's a point where 
you know, it's like a supplement, you know, how much is enough and how much is too much? You know, there's a, there's a point that you need it. And then there becomes a point where, you know, there's, there's a point of diminishing returns. And so if, you know, if, if, you know, a thousand gram milligrams of vitamin C are necessary, you need to take 10,000, you know, so it gets to a point where, are you in a situation where, where you're just over supplementing? And so I think one of the things that I've seen is, you know, for me, not including organ meats has not been a detriment to me. I'm performing well. I don't have any health issues. But I do think there are some people, particularly where they, depending on where they start, you know, if you're starting out nutrient depleted, that those things can help in the beginning. There are people that do this long term that every once in a while they'll, they'll get a craving for some liver and something like that. And so they'll eat it. And so I think that's, I think there's nothing wrong with that. It's fine to eat. And I'd say, you know, a good chunk of people that do this diet will include organ meats, but but not everybody does, and I don't think it's a requirement to do it. It is crazy that, like, you know, the people that aren't really well-versed in this, they'll assume, you know, based off of what they've been told their whole life, that, you know, you're going to get more micronutrients through, like, fruits and vegetables, whereas you know, a red meat is going to be much more usable by the body, have substantially higher micronutrients than you, you know, look at some of these organ meats, and it's just, like, it's freaking off the charts compared to fruits and vegetables. Yeah, animal source food is a far, far better source of nutrition. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the uh, you know vitamins that we see in, in fruits and vegetables aren't even in the form that we're ideally suited to use. You know, vitamin uh, vitamin A is one in particular. You know, the, the plant form uh, that we get it from, you know, is um, you know it has to be converted, and a lot of people aren't very good at converting that. And so. You know, the bottom line, and this is this is a very simplistic way of looking at things, and people have criticized me for saying this before, but I think it's true, is, you know, you and I are basically made out of animal tissue, right? Uh, that's, what, that's what we're made out of. And, and so the same stuff that's in animal tissue that we're made out of is in the animals we eat. And those guys have all the same nutrients that we need and require and utilize in their tissues. And when we're eating that, we're getting it in the appropriate ratios and the appropriate forms we don't have to have any special conversions going on it's just far easier to turn animal material into animal material than to turn you know plant material into plant material plants you know plants aren't designed for us to eat they don't want us to eat them you know they they, they secrete a bunch of chemicals because they don't like us to do that we you know we can still you know i mean human beings are basically made out of oxygen carbon nitrogen hydrogen uh calcium sodium potassium and a few other micronutrients you know i mean that's that's what that's how you build a human and you can you can build that stuff out of, from plants as well but it, it's you know the forms are a little different you know it's easier to do it from from animal nutrition yeah that, that seems like a logical argument to me makes sense um totally random question here but have you ever eaten beef tongue i you know i think i've i had i think i had ox tongue when i was a kid but i haven't had that uh in in gosh i don't know 30 years i bet but um I hear it's pretty good. A lot of people tell me it's good, so maybe I'll try that you know, down the road here. I was looking at the macros on it, and it's just it's perfect kids in it macros. So I'm going to try and cook some beef tongue tonight. I don't know how it's going to go over, though. Yeah, you, I mean, you make sure you find a recipe because I'm, I'm sure like some of these weird cuts of meat, if you're not used to it, you know, you, you just have to. You know, that's one thing I'll tell you. You get pretty good at cooking steaks when you do this when that's all you eat. <laughs> no, that, that's a great segue, man. I've got a question for you. What, uh, I mean, you're like the freaking – connoisseur of steaks here what what is your preferred cooking technique uh you know i i you know i'm surprised i really i really like them on the grill i mean i think they come out real nice on the grill by but i also and it kind of depends where i'm at you know if i'm uh 
you know, depending, depending where, what location I'm at, but a lot of times I'll, if I don't have access to the grill, I'll, re, I'll reverse sear them. And I think that turns out very nice. I mean, you just, you know, that just, that just means you basically, you know, you kind of put it in the oven, bake it on a low temperature, you get it to the internal temperature you like, which for me is typically about medium rare. And then you just throw it in a real hot cast iron pan, you know, and then you just sear it both sides real quick, touch, touch the edges. And that comes out beautiful. I mean, I've had sous vide, you know, before, which is a, a way of, you know, you kind of put it in a bag, and you know, a sealed bag, and you kind of put it in a water bath for a while. That, 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 that basically accomplishes the, the same thing. Uh, There's no char with once, that, though, right? There's no char with what's that? There's Whether you cook it with the, with the water in the water bath, there's no, there's no char with it, right? Well, you got to go and sear it afterwards. And so that's the thing. You know, you, you want to go in there. I think the sear just, just, just makes the flavor good. It locks the juices in. And so, you know, that's, you know, for my mind, that's that's a way to do that. You got you got to sear that. You got to sear the sear that fat a little bit. You know that that really brings out the flavor. I think that's uh, yeah, absolutely that's the way to do that. Do you? Uh, so I've been I've been cooking them really close to the heat on the grill, just you know three minutes tops on each side. So it's pretty you know medium rare more or less, but like a nice char on the outside. And uh, I don't know. I think I think medium rare is the way to go. Would you say that you're losing a lot of the micronutrients when you start getting into you know the the well done's. Well, I think you're right about the taste. You know, and I, you know, people. You know, obviously, taste is a very subjective thing. I think most people, once they do this long term, most people will gravitate towards the, the lower temperatures, whether it's medium rare or even rare. But there is an argument to be made about you know, if you overcook the steak, you may you may damage some of the nutrition. I don't think it's to the degree where you would suffer any significant damage. You know, I don't, I don't think it's huge. I mean, there's a, there's probably a slight difference. I don't think there's enough to worry about. The bottom line is eat it how you like it, you know, but but most people will find that after they do this for a while, their taste will change to where, you know, now now those steaks on a little rarer side will will, will taste better to them. But a lot of people, that, you know, especially people like, you know, people that have come from like a vegetarian background where they just really aren't comfortable eating meat, they want the thing cooked to death. You know, they yeah. want to chew leather before they'll be willing to taste it. And I think a lot of women are like that. But I think as as they kind of get used to this, you know, they gravitate to to tastier. And I think, you know, there, there may be something to it that that we we prefer less cooked meat because maybe there's some inherent nutritional improvement in that, and that's why we're we're kind of hardwired to do that. So there might be something to it, but I don't think it's enough that you're going to get a nutrient nutrient deficiency if you eat well done steaks. That's a, that's a good point. It makes sense. Um, yeah, I think uh, I don't know. I think carnivore just. It's 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 taking the world by storm right now. Keto is in general, and then carnivore, you know, being like a subset of that, it's, it's just gaining in popularity. What what is your uh, n equals mini, right? Yeah, so that was again. This is something you know because I became very public about you know as an MB doing this stuff and then doing well athletically. I, I got a little bit of attention just doing this all meat diet. But a lot of people say, well, you're just a you know you're just a genetic freak or an outlier, and you know it doesn't apply to other people. So I said, okay, well, that that may be true. I don't know, and it, it, it still may be true. So I just started saying, hey, does anybody else want to try this? And, you know, I said, does anybody want to eat steaks for three months and see how you do? And all these people said, yes, I'd sure. I'd love, I'd love to try it. So we kind of we kind of cobbled together a website. Another buddy of mine named Matt Mayer, uh, who's also a carnivore, kind of started working on collecting data. So we just had people that, that went ahead and did this for, you know, three months at first and submitted their data. And we're still analyzing all the data. You know, generally the results have been very good, but we're still trying to get all the data analyzed. So that's where it came from. You know, N equals many. You know, people criticize these N equals one. You're just an anecdote. I'm saying, well, once you start getting into the hundreds of people and even a thousand, we're at now we're into the thousands of people, um, then that, that stuff becomes more compelling. And so, 
you know, once you know, if, you know, if you hear about the, you know, the one story, you kind of brush it off as a story. But once you start seeing, and that's that's kind of the power of social media. You know, you know, you and I talking. You know, it's mm-hmm. we're just connecting with other people. Once you start seeing hundreds, if not you know, if not thousands of people all sharing the same story, it starts to, you know, it starts to gain some traction. Some people, you know, there may be something there. You know, I'm, I'm not at a point where I'm, I'm willing to say that it's going to work for everybody and it's the greatest diet in the world. But I, but I think for a lot of people, they notice significant improvements in their health uh, doing this. And so I think this is what we're going to see. I think next year, you know, this World Carnivore Month that we've kind of started this year, I think by next year it's going to be huge. It's probably going to be hundreds of thousands of people doing this, whereas this year it's a few thousand. I think it's just going to continue to explode. I think, you know, there's more people that are willing to talk about this stuff. You know, in the past we've got this, you know, we've got this plant-based movement and some of the people that are advocates of that are really aggressive and they, they even become violent about that stuff. They kind of scare people from saying, Hey, I'm a, uh, you know, I enjoy eating meat, which is what my basically biology and evolution drove me to. And so there, you know, there's people out there trying to make you ashamed of that. And I think now that more people are willing to stand up and say, wait a minute, you know, I eat meat, I enjoy it. It's making me healthy. That, that, that more people are going to have courage to do that. We're just going to see this movement, you know, take off. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, uh, I don't know, man, I think it's just sad to see, you know, it, it's cool to see people get so defensive of their, you know, thing, their passion. Like, I like seeing that, but to the point where it's detrimental to other people doing the same thing with their own passion, it's just like, there's, there's no point in that, you know? Like, I I eat my meals, I like what I eat, it, it works well for me. If it doesn't work well for you, great. If it does work well for you, great. Just find what's best for you. So it's, it's cool that you're kind of allowing people to, you know, take power in their own hands. If they want to eat carnivore and be vocal about it, then by all means, more power to them. Yeah, I mean, it's like you know, you, you look at you know the country of India where there there actually there there actually been murders. Like I, I saw, I think a little while ago, there's like 28 people have been killed for eating meat in India, which is just it's just insane the way that stuff's doing. But yeah, I agree. I mean, you should be able to have the freedom to pick a diet that works for you. And for some people, it's a vegan diet. For some people, it's a keto diet. For some people, it's a zone diet. For some people, it's a carnivore diet. Whatever works for you is what you should be able to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, where can people, like, uh, like how do they get involved? Like, can they sign up to do the Enneagram? Is there going to be another stage of three months for the Enneagram Mini, or what's the next step there? Yeah, so basically, the, the, there's a website called track-well.com. You know, it's track and then the little dash and then well.com. So T-R-A-C-K-Well-W-E-L-L.com. There are, it's just an open sign up anytime you want to. You can sign up for 30 days, 90 days, or you can even go as long as you want. It's pretty flexible. We're going to continue to have events, you know, like this, this month, January is World Carnivore Month. So we'll probably do something else, you know, in March, you know, I'll, I'll try to, kind of theme that off you know there's march madness with the basketball we're gonna might call it march meatness and so we might have another you know maybe another group of people that did want to a couple thousand people want to try it in march and, and we'll just keep going and collecting data you know we we all we can only ask people to give us their data if they're gracious enough to do that and so far we've gotten pretty good responses and people have been pretty willing to share that uh we have a facebook group that kind of supports people because there's a lot of people that are new to it and they have lots of questions and so we've got a lot of you know, people have been doing it for several years that, that can kind of help guide them. And I try to put in my advice when I can, you know, it's, it's, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, where that stuff is. Um, you know, I'm pretty active on Twitter, you know, S Baker MD, my Instagram, Sean S H A W N Baker B A K E R 1967. 
I'm always putting up little blurbs about the diet and the results people are getting and some of some of the stuff I'm doing training wise. Um, so Very those cool. are the uh, you know those are the main places right now. There'll probably be more coming. We're, we're gonna we're gonna have another website called MeatHeals.com where we're collecting all these stories of people that have really kind of transformed their lives for the better by going on either a carnivorous or a you know fully carnivorous or a you know, a highly carnivorous diet. And so we'll have, you know, you can, you know, you can look like there's people that will say that, you know, we're going to categorize them for people that have had digestive order disorders. You know, they'll group all those stories together and people that have had depression disorders and we'll group all those stories together. So people can kind of look through there and see what kind of results other people are getting that, you know, may encourage them to at least, at least give it a try. Absolutely. Shoot, man. I, I take, I track all kinds of data. So I'll, I'll sign up and provide my data. I'll skip the sauteed mushrooms for a while. <laughs> We'd love to have you. We'd love to have you, data. So, what's your what's your uh, what's your latest try? You got any competitions coming up, or what's your deal right now? No, no competitions. I'm gonna try and lean down a little bit, but stay at a surplus. Like right now, in between competitions, my primary goal is to just build as much you know quality muscle in the meantime as possible. Which, as a natural bodybuilder, I take more time off in between shows because I you know spend so much time at a deficit dieting for a show. Um, Danny and I just finished that three month hypertrophy experiment, in which we changed our ratios between like a high protein month, a high fat month, and then like a mixed month. Um, surprisingly though, when I was at the high protein month, I was at about the same macros you tend to gravitate towards. And I just felt more tired with the higher protein ratio. I think I was at around 65% fat and the, the rest of that mostly coming from protein. But uh, when I bumped up the fat, I had a little bit more energy. I'd, I still stay relatively pretty much carnivore all the way through, but uh, a little higher fat ratio. Yeah, I think I think what happens is you know depending how lean you are, I think for some people you know if you're a little leaner, you know, in general, uh, higher fat probably serves you a little better. I think you know just from a just from an energy uh, standpoint, you know, because you're 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 probably utilizing a lot of fat for your for your energy requirements. And so if you're walking around relatively lean, you may you may feel better with a little higher fat in your diet. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's there's so many variables at play, like how how long you've been you know keto adapted or adapted to eating you know, without carbs, like that's going to play a huge factor as well. Um, so yeah, there's, there's just, there's a lot of nuances to every trick and trade of the, of the dieting nutrition realm. Yeah. Especially when you get to, you know, when, when you, when your when your goals are get down to, you know, sub 6% body fat or whatever you got to get to for a bodybuilding contest, then you kind of get into some unusual stuff, you know, for most people, walking around that's not an issue but i like but it's nice to see what happens when people push the envelope and see what happens to human physiology so i i think one of the things i've always maintained is you know guys like bodybuilders or other athletes are where we should learn from you know because they they're they're the guys that are out on the edges and you know pushing pushing the pushing the knowledge so it's 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 cool to see that stuff absolutely i think i mean i don't know like the like when i'm down i think my last show i got down at three and a half percent you know, that's like not a sustainable body fat percentage by any means. But when you're that lean, you're so in tune with your body. Like you, you can feel exactly how your body's reacting to the six ounces of ground beef you're eating. You know, it's just, it's just weird. And you're, you're able to really gain perspective as far as like, you know, what is truly hunger versus what is just, you know, your mental, uh, you know, mind games playing tricks on you. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's cool to really know the ins and outs of how the body works from a practical standpoint and experience base. Yeah, that is, that's, that, that is pretty fascinating. I, you know, like I said, the same thing for me when I'm pushing records, you know, I'm, I'm just, 
you know, I, I can notice, you know, what's going to give me one tenth of a second. You know, there's just these, these little minor things when you get down to the very, the very edges of performance. You know, it's 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 these little details that come into play, and it's it's kind of interesting to see. The other thing with mindset, you know, as far as, you know, when people, you know, when you think about how people eat these days, you know, it's it's like we've got. You know, there's there's literally thousands of choices of food that you have when you walk in the grocery store. I mean, there's 25 flavors of potato chips and 75 different brands of soft drinks you can drink. And you know, it's like from an evolutionary standpoint. I mean, you know, you you just go back a few thousand years, and you know, you don't even have one one hundredth of a percent of that much choice. I mean, it was you know, you might have got a, if you're lucky, you got a little bit of meat, maybe a piece of bread, and maybe you could scrap together a few vegetables. But I mean, that's what humans survived on for thousands of years and so the people that are saying well i can't do this diet because i can't i can't have my 15 different flavors of ice cream it, it just kind of you know <laughs> makes me laugh a little bit no i i completely am on the same page there people i don't know they just they they look for an excuse they look for you know a reason a cop out a scapegoat it's just like just do it put forth the effort stop complaining your body's evolved to survive you know over the past hundreds of thousands of years like you'll be fine with that your lays potato chips you know yeah that's true but you know but there's there's all these marketing pressures and there's social pressures and there's a lot of money that, that's spent to to try to drive us to eat that, that basically that garbage you know it's kind of funny but i mean you know i'm eating ribeye steaks every day people have been eating ribeye steaks for you know many thousands of years or if not you know if not longer and it's uh I'm not suffering, you know. I'm not. I'm not sitting here missing the fact that I can't eat a potato chip. I'm. I'm enjoying every meal, which is, I think, what people, you know, have a hard time wrapping their head around. You know, I, it's like my dog. You know, my dog. When it's time to feed my dog, my dog is jumping and jumping around, and you know, salivating and going crazy, the tail's wagging because he knows he's going to get the same old crap he had yesterday. But he's damn happy to have it, you know. So it's. Oh yeah. It's just kind of funny how you how you change. Absolutely. I laugh at when I look at like some of the bodybuilders that I competed with in the past, you know, and they're bragging about this new flavored strawberry whipped cream protein powder they're using, you know, pre-workout, post-workout. It's like, I'll just stick with my ribeye and keep on smiling. <laughs> so I know you got, yeah. I know you're busy guy. I know you don't take too much of your time, but, but real quick, kind of what, what do you got going on in the future? Like you're kind of blowing up right now. You're on the Joe Rogan podcast. That's huge. Like, uh, you got a lot of things to be excited about. What, what do you, what are you looking to do? Yeah, well, I mean, well, you know, every week I get some more more sort of opportunities. But right now, um, the next thing I know, I'm going up. You know, Mark Bell and Chris Bell, you know, mm -hmm. the Bell brothers. Yeah. So I'm going up to their place this weekend. Uh, uh, Chris is going to film another movie. You know, he did Bigger, Bigger Farm, Stronger, Faster, and a, and a couple others. And so he's filming another movie about you know nutrition. So I'm going to probably be in that. I'm going to train with those guys. I'm going to do Mark's podcast. Uh, then the next week I'm heading to Iceland to, to do a seminar on, um, uh, they're flying me out there to go to Iceland to do a seminar on, on basically carnivore diet and some training stuff. So I'll do like a three day seminar out there. Um, then I've got, there's another movie that's coming out. A guy named Brian, uh, Sanders is making that's called food lies. So I've, I've filmed some stuff for that. So that stuff going on. There's some people that are, you know, try, we're trying to get this carnivore movement off the ground, um, so there's there's a couple of local guys that, that have talked to me about you know doing some stuff. So there's there's just a lot of stuff going on that uh, I'm excited to be part of. You know, I, like I said, ultimately I want to see, you know, if we can we can you know come together as a community and, and, and try to help ourselves because you know it's it, the sad thing about the United States is I mean we're the richest country in the world and 
we're the fattest and the sickest, and, and we should be the strongest. I mean, we yeah. should do, we should be a nation of you know strong athletes. Instead, we're we're you know a sad country of sick, frail, disabled people, which is a sh- which is a shame. And I think it's going to take guys like you and me and, and other people in the fitness community to to just say, hey, look, I'm going to go beyond just what I what I desire to do, you know, with myself, but also try to pick up the rest of the you know, rest of my neighbors and, and help them out and, 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 and do what the government's unable to do because clearly the government and our healthcare system is just, just failing miserably. Yeah. No, I agree, man. I'm I'm excited for it. We're we're speaking the same language. I think uh I think we we got a lot of work ahead of us, but I think I think we're gaining the momentum. It's gonna be a grassroots type movement, but we can do it. Yeah, let's yeah, let's keep getting the word out. You know, you know, like I said, it's you know, steak and deadlifts, man. <laughs> yeah. What else you need in life, right? Exactly. Well shoot, man, anything I could do to ever help, you know, you got my number, just let me know. All right, right. I appreciate it. Good luck with your contest and you know, just shoot me a line, let me know how you're doing and then uh you know, this let's just keep uh pushing this out. I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to to chat and uh hopefully more people hear about it. Absolutely. I appreciate your time, Sean. Until next time, sir. Take care. Thank you very much.